Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Ken the Provocateur doing donuts in a car. You're going to need some donuts because we are here to talk about a declassified film, John Wick Chapter 4. It's out last week. We've seen it, Cam, and we're here to tell you what we think. Yes, we are indeed. Scott, I think this was a pretty highly anticipated movie. The John Wick series seems, if anything, just to be growing with popularity with each Mm -hmm. installment. You know, you think about how modest a success the first one was, where it was like, it did well enough. And then it hit video and became like really popular. Yeah. And now, you know, John Wick 4 just opens and made just an absolute boatload of money. The future is, you know, we have Ballerina coming up. We've got the Continental TV show coming up. Mm-hmm. The world is good for John Wick. But John Wick Chapter 4, were you excited and what was your response? Well, I, I will just set the table slightly before I answer your question. It's a declassified mm. episode, guys. So we are going to talk about the film, but the first portion of discussion is going to be non-spoiler. So if you haven't seen the film, don't worry. You haven't got to switch off yet. We'll let you know when spoilers are coming, and then you can go and uh, tune out for now. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, Cam, was I excited? Yes, I was in the same boat as you. I loved John Wick 1. I thought it was a refreshing action film with a movie star that I hadn't seen do anything interesting in a little while. So it was good to see Keanu back in a lead role. And it just seems to have grown. It's really done that sort of Mission Impossible thing where they actually, they actually sort of gone up in quality as they've gone along. And I used to think John Wick was kind of akin to Taken. Right. You know, like a, a sort of an art house first film that was interesting and then the concept grew. But whereas Taken sort of inverted when it came to quality, John Wick has not only escalated in terms of quality, it's escalated in terms of scale, scale of the world, scale of the films. And I am constantly surprised on how they up the ante from film to film. And this film is no different. For me, I'm saying it off the top, this is my favorite of the John Wick films. Oh, that's interesting. It's your favorite. I don't know where I sit yet. It's definitely up there for sure. I'm a big fan of John Wick 2 in particular. Mm-hmm. I remember enjoying the first one, but it was the second one where I was suddenly like, oh, like this is a lot more interesting. And I really, really appreciated what they were doing action choreography wise. Yeah. And I'm someone like, I find action movies often very frustrating. And it's something I'm sure that has come up on the main feed several times where we've talked about action scenes that are generic in films. The 355 is one we've brought up, but there's a lot out there. There's tons of movies we have covered and will cover in the future where it's very generic Mm -hmm. stuff. Even like big budget movies. You know, I went and saw Black Panther 2 a while back. The action, that is terrible. Yeah. Like it's so just a mishmash of bad editing and, you know, choreography that probably looked great on set but did not translate. And so when I watched the John Wicks, I'm not as much of a gun guy. Like movies that play this kind of like gun foo or gun kata, whatever you want to call it, that's not as much my thing but I am a really big fan of more martial arts films. Like Jackie Chan stuff was really popular with me when I was young. And it's the choreography of the John Wick movies that just blows my mind. It's the sort of thing that like, when I see it done on this level, I am both embarrassed for a lot of the big budget filmmakers out there cranking out unremarkable action scenes, but I'm also baffled as to how this continues to happen hollywood loves money they love it they've seen how audiences respond to john wick and what chad stahelski and his team are doing why is this not being reflected in other movies why are other filmmakers not jumping on this bandwagon to try to give audiences the same level of thing and i think this latest one chapter four as you said it raises the bar it has I don't know that I connect that much emotionally with the John Wick franchise, but it is a nice little like grace note if this marks perhaps an ending for the series. Who knows? Um, But it would work in that sort of fashion. And it introduces constant action sequences I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. How they've made four movies, movies that are getting considerably longer and longer with each installment without feeling like they're repeating themselves. It's really astonishing. Well, it's actually a point I had for later, but maybe I'll jump on it here. This is the longest John Wick film. It, it clocks in at just under three hours. And I have... I've been pretty loud on social media and on the podcast in the past about thinking films shouldn't really be scratching that <laughs> level. And they, and if they do, they have to earn it. You have been fighting for a three-hour Mad Helm film. Well, I have. And I think the 355 should have been three hours and 55 minutes, but... <laughs> 
That would have been amazing. I, it would. It would have actually been like a nice, nice sort of in joke, wouldn't it? But yeah. uh, no, I. This film earned its time. It never felt over long. I watched it in the theaters, and I sat there. I I almost blinked, and the film had, had ended. It was brilliantly paced. It used every minute. It wrung every bit of continuity out. It, you know, world building, but also prolonged action sequences. You said about sort of upping the stakes. I said upping the ante. All the same thing. But there's moments in this film like the ending with the fight up the staircase in paris i've never seen anything like that yeah and i've seen a lot of action films and i just think why is this the first time i'm seeing this this is absolutely phenomenal they 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 have some funny sort of moments some great subversion with that staircase what sort of happens midway throughout and i mean one thing people often mention when they're talking about the john wick films is kind of some of the some of the things it took from a game called Hotline Miami. I don't know if you're familiar with that game at all. No. It's kind of like a top-down shooter. And this film actually references that game, uh, the sequence where he's clearing out the sort of hotel and the guys have the, the fire breath shotgun rounds. And you see it from, you see like in between the rooms as, as John Wick is clearing them out. Yeah. This is in the trailers, folks. I'm not spoiling anything. And again, like, I've never seen anything like that in reality. And it always felt like a video game I was watching at some point. Like, it looked so unreal. But it was real and practical and visceral. I I can't help but laud this film and just think, what on earth is everyone else doing? And you mentioned, like, why are Hollywood not jumping on this? They are. They're just failing. Yeah. You just look at some of the other action films that have come out recently. Like, in the last sort of five years, people have started turning their guns slightly sideways with handguns, trying to be John Wick. I think of, like, Extraction on netflix mm-hmm. all this sort of close combat uh, gun foo i think as you refer to it but nothing comes even close to this but then th- that happened with taken as well the taken came out and then there was a lot of like man on a mission saving x films for a while but none of them were as good as taken or the born approach to action which yeah. taken was definitely jumping on board with i think taken does it a little better than many at least the first one by the time you get to that third one and he's jumping that fence we are well over the fence of quality but um yeah it's like i guess i was always hoping that like the john wick trend would sell that audiences want propulsive action where they can make out what's happening and it just doesn't feel like we've really gotten that real revolution of action filmmaking and you know you mentioned extraction also directed by a stunt coordinator turned director so like that sort of thing seems to have a certain audience. And I think Extraction's at least a somewhat better example, at least in terms of the action choreography. Mm. Um, but to me, like the, the beauty of like the John Wick franchise is the confidence in its world. Like these movies are deeply silly, deeply. There is a point in this movie where um, they raise the concept of basically a duel between two powers mm-hmm. and someone says that's a myth you can't do that and i'm like why <laughs> like why <laughs> in this world why is that a myth like everything is so absurd and ridiculous and heightened that like why is this concept something that people are gasping over <laughs> there's sacred ground where you can't kill each other but you can't do jewels cam get with it <laughs> jeez <laughs> like this movie to me and it's kind of been one of my issues with the series it's why like as much as I love watching these movies in a theater, they are not movies that I am destined to sit and rewatch over and over again. The way I am something even like The Raid, mm-hmm. um, The Raid I really love, is just like the mythology of John Wick is really fun on a very, very superficial level. But if you are asking me to involve myself in the actual storytelling of these movies, ah, I, I don't know that it really works that well. It carries me from extended action scene to extended action scene and as you said this movie is just about three hours long it has nods to uh not just lawrence of arabia off the top but also the good and the bad the ugly of course very famous three plus hour epics and um this movie knows exactly what it wants to be it wants to be this epic scale three hour action film and as you said they pull it off very well pace wise i never felt like i was bored but there is a there is a note I kind of had at a certain point where I say, how many of these types of movies can one watch before like the very superficial mythology becomes tiresome as opposed to kind of amusing? Well, I, I, it's hard to say because I would I think this film has almost distanced itself from some of its early mythology and sort of evolved it because 
it's not really obsessed with things like the Continental anymore. It's far grander in scale. Like I, you keep hearing stuff about the table. Yeah. Like I'm not really sure what the table is, <laughs> who the table I is. I don't care. Frankly, I don't care. I want to see my Johnny Boy brutally, brutally shooting the place up, and that's fine. That's what these films are for. I I don't come to them for uh, continuity or world building. I get a little bit of that, and I think it does it quite well. But yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sitting here working out like the hierarchy of the table. No, and that's one of the things these movies are so good at is they make you feel very immersed in the world. Like there's so much confidence from Stahelski and his writers and his various you know behind the scenes personnel in creating a world that the audience can instantly recognize. And as silly and cartoonish as the events taking place in it often are, they feel true to that world. When I'm watching like these, like, I don't know, like pinup style women working in this like betting parlor, putting up prices on assassins. I'm like, I have no idea what the um, internal workings of this uh, business are, but I don't care. It all works within this world. The fact that, like, apparently assassins are everywhere on the streets just waiting for, like, (laughs) a dollar amount to come out where they can suddenly all gather and attack people. I'm like, sure, but if you're to break down the specifics as to how it works, I kind of don't care. It just is like, this movie goes full cartoon, Mm -hmm. to be fair. Like, I don't think we've ever quite gotten here. I think we got there a little bit at the end of part three where John Wick, you know, took a header off a building, Mm. which was, I remember feeling like a bit of a stretch at the end of Parabellum there. This movie looks at that and says, we can do more than that. And that will work for some. It won't work for others. But I think it's actually kind of smart to embrace the, like, I don't know, Looney Tunes-like mentality of this world where clearly the world building doesn't make logical sense. So let's just exist within this very, very, very heightened reality and make unbelievable action and set pieces within it. Well, somewhere along the line, I don't know if this was, I think it was John Wick 2. They decided they wanted to have these tactical suits. Oh, yeah. And I, a part of me hates the invention. Yeah. There's a scene in this film where Donnie Yen and, and I want to get back to Donnie Yen in a minute, and Keanu are shooting each other point blank range with pistols and both shielding each other with the, the jackets of their suits. And in my head, I'm like, this is absolutely ludicrous like one <laughs> shot in the head everything's done yeah. but I, you you cannot you cannot look at these films through that lens it, it is a cartoon it is extreme but once you wipe that away it's a well choreographed action film don't worry about the rest don't sweat it don't try to think about it what's the line from tenet don't 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 try to understand it just feel it yeah that's right yeah yeah that's it that's exactly it and you know my wife hates these films hates them mm. but she just never watched them okay she, she's just like oh, I, I don't need to see a, a Keanu Reeves action film I've seen them all and I, I think if she actually took the time to sit down and watch it she'd probably get into it because it is just popcorn action very very well done well they're very propulsive movies which is so important I think and you see that in the best examples of action filmmaking these days you know whether it is a, something like a Top Gun Maverick or uh, Fury Road, or The Raid. Movies that are all trying to do different things with action, but all deliver at that same just home run style. And I mean, the thing about these John Wicks is they just keep showing you things you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. You may sit there and go, I've seen you know gunfights on screen. I mean, yeah. we've got decades upon decades of such things. The 80s, you would have thought, would have wiped out all potential of ever doing anything like that ever again. Springfield Rifle, we've all seen it. <laughs> That was the that was the pinnacle previously. We had Springfield Rifle, and then finally John Wick came in to raise the bar again. We, we were waiting. The Duke left us waiting for a long time. <laughs> the Duke, wasn't that? That was Gary Cooper. Oh, was it? Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the Coop. The Coop. The Coop left us waiting. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever called him the Coop. <laughs> <laughs> we do now. Yeah. The Coop and the Duke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to me, when I'm sitting there watching them, and I'm watching John Wick do donuts, like firing a gun out like the windshield of a car mm. and doing this like multiple ta- times around a group of, you know, adversaries. I'm just like, it's a little bit of that Jackie Chan magic where you're like, how did they do this? Like, I know they did a lot of the practical stunts, but like this, 
this shouldn't have worked. <laughs> and that's what kind of the magic trick of these movies. Whether I am watching stuff that's aided by effects or I'm just watching human choreography, it's so unbelievable on screen that I'm just amazed by the magic trick. Well, there's another franchise that's also interesting to draw a contrast with With this is The Fast and Furious. Mm. They've, they've escalated over the last nine films. They've, they've gone to space. They went too far. And I, that's something I always worry about with John Wicks. And they didn't, they didn't do it here. Uh, once you got to about seven, that got mm. really cartoony. And then to me, like eight and nine have, were not good. Yeah, but the thing is, and I'm not saying that they, I'm not saying they were any good. I didn't like nine. We're on record saying we didn't like nine. But they still bring in audiences. Mm-hmm. They still have a crowd. They still have their fans, much as John Wick clearly does still. So I think both are still doing something right and appealing to something in us. Um, and speaking of appealing, I mentioned the name, Donnie Yen. Oof. This man can do no wrong. Now, having him as a blind assassin in this film, I, I got instantly you know, thoughts of Rogue One. Like, are we going to get a rehash of his character in Rogue One? I'm sure you know the character's name and his whole backstory, Cam. Um, it's like, oh, Chiwut or something like that. Yeah, nerd. But he somehow created a completely new blind character that felt completely different and somehow evolved the fight. He created a whole new fighting style, it feels like. There's, there's moments where like Donnie Yen's character is beating people up and not looking at the actor he's acting up against and, and still delivering a very impactful fight sequence. Well, there's such a tradition of like blind samurai or in Hong Kong action movies, also like blind assassins. Like There is this kind of history of that. And his ability to do that here, and with John Wick, sometimes it's tough to kind of assign originality to this franchise because, you know, we kind of know the American touch points pretty well, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot drawn from anime or a lot of more obscure Hong Kong films that I'm just not familiar with. So Mm -hmm. I don't like to say John Wick invented any of these things, but I think they have in many ways perfected it for a American filmmaking package. Sure, Um, sure. But or, you know, elevated what Hollywood filmmaking can do. Um, but when I see what Donnie Yen's doing here, there's little bits. The fact he sets up, like, doorbell alarms. Mm. You know, motion sensor doorbell alarms in a fight scene. Such a small little thing. If I were watching, you know, like, say, a Taken sequel, and there was a scene like this, I'd be like, oh, wow, that was really interesting. They had that one idea. And yet, it's totally throwaway here. It's used relatively early in the movie and they still have a billion more ideas to show the audience they haven't seen before and donnie yen i think for the first time offers us a character who i think would be actually interesting in his own spin-off series i actually think he's a compelling enough character that he could carry his own series in this world Mm -hmm. and as you said donnie yen in some ways is giving more of a emotional performance on screen than Keanu Reeves is. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is very much, you know, our kind of gritty, very Clint Eastwood-like hero in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. He has, I mean, how many lines of dialogue do you think he has in this movie? Like four? Not much. Not much. No, it, it's, it's. I mean, he has a couple of like soliloquies where he goes off on things about family and stuff like that. Oh God, that's Fast and Furious again. But no, again, it, it's it's Keanu playing to his strengths, which is uh, not acting. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Keanu, we love you. He's very, very internal in his yeah. performance, whereas I think, you know, um, that um, Donnie Yen's character, there's a little more expression going mm-hmm. on. And I think that audiences could invest in that character going forward if they wanted to make more movies with him and his fight scenes. I mean... We often look at Tom Cruise and go like, look at this man. He's 60 years old. He's flying planes. We don't know how he's doing it. Whatever Scientology powers he's using to keep himself young. We should all be in awe of what Tom Cruise is achieving. I'm sorry. Donnie Yen is about 60 years old. This man is the pinnacle of humanity we should all be looking to. So um, I am in awe of Donnie Yen. I wish that Hollywood knew what to do with him. I think he's making a great career doing you know films you know in china for sure mm-hmm. but i would love to see more work like this given to him because he can do so 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 much i think we've only ever spoken about donnie once before which was the triple x sequel yeah yeah 
the returns and he was again a standout performance in that film but I, i've seen donnie in quite a few things so i had high expectations of him in this film but i think he shot past that and i agree if they said that they were doing a spin-off film much like the anna de armas ballerina spin-off film with all about kane mm-hmm. the rise of kane the fall of kane the mark of kane i don't know something like that <laughs> I'd be there for it. Put the same team behind it. Put Donnie Yen as your lead. I would watch that film. Oh, yeah. Prequel, sequel, anything you want. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that for, you know, this series has introduced a lot of fun characters. You know, there was Halle Berry with her German Shepherds in part three, for example. Mm-hmm. Or Mark Dacascos as like the antagonist of part three, who was like the John Wick fanboy who made it off at the end. You know, these are really fun characters I enjoy seeing. There's a, a tracker character in this movie played by Shamir Anderson who has also a attack dog. Fun character, but not someone I could see supporting their own spin-off franchise. Donnie Yen has it. Donnie Yen has it. And another appearance, um, which was great, uh, which is Hiroyuki Sonata. Yeah. Uh, again, he has a protracted sequence in Japan with an actor playing his daughter and has a showdown with Donnie Yen. And I mean, that's two legends going up against each other in that scene. And it's breathtaking to watch. Yeah, Hiroyuki Sonata, people might have seen as Scorpion in the more recent Mortal Kombat film, but like kind of a legendary action talent mm-hmm. in um, you know Asian cinema. And to see him here, given a massive, big budget action, action sequence opposite Donnie Yen, like this is dreams coming true here. And he kills it. And the actress who plays his daughter, Akira, Rina Sawayama, that character, there's teases that she could continue onwards and earns it. There's a sequence where she climbs up a very large man with knives mm. that my audience was losing it. it. It reminded me a lot, that that exact moment reminded me a lot of the blades that were thrown by John Wick in the third film during the New York chase where he does the close quarters sort of throwing knives. That got a wince out of my crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brutal stuff, brutal stuff. Well, I... I, I... I don't want to get into spoilers just yet, but could we just talk about a couple more things that we did like? I mentioned Donnie, but something you liked, Cam. Um, I actually thought that um, that Bill Skarsgård as the villain was actually a lot of fun. I always tend to think in these types of movies, unless you're playing kind of like a Mark Dacascos, like martial artist, very active character, you don't mm. get to have that much fun. But I thought that Bill Skarsgård, who's more of a, you know, more of a mastermind character has a great time with his very awkward stooped posture and just like (laughs) sociopathic energy coming out of every single bit of his performance here and probably has the biggest laugh when he's on the receiving end of a Donnie Yen uh, insult towards the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that people walk out of a lot of John Wick movies really remembering the villains but i think in this case that bill skarsgård acquits himself very well i think he does too uh, he was great in the it films as the clown but mm-hmm. uh fun to see him in this i i always appreciate a man who has a buffet that follows him wherever he goes yes yes uh that, that, that guy was constantly flanked by uh wine and food he spent a whole scene eating a slice of cake fair play to you because that was about three days of shooting of eating that cake and that beautiful scene where you get Ian McShane, who gets more to do in this movie, which is mm-hmm. a lot of fun, but walking down the sort of like room of paintings where the Skarsgård character is hanging out. This movie looks beautiful, by the way. Yeah. You know, the cinematography is by um, Dan Laustsen, who has worked with Guillermo del Toro in some of his more recent movies like Nightmare Alley and uh, The Shape of Water. That's part of the reason these movies are also so successful, not just the action choreography and editing, but just the cinematography is so beautiful. To see them on the big screen, they look astonishing. And to see the way that they create this world for Skarsgård's character is just wonderful. It's it's a very elaborate world that he lives in, very decadent. Uh, I, I, it makes me question what on earth this table does and how it's bankrolling these people because <laughs> you like, don't want to know. I ju- no, I don't want to know what's on or under or above the table. It's a very confusing table. It is. It is. And I'm sure if they explained it, you'd be like, wait, uh, what? What's a Marquise again? Just explain. Yeah. To me. No, don't worry about it. It's more fun just to watch. But I, I think, it, yeah, in terms of the villains, the only one, other one I remember is I think the chap from like, Game of Thrones was in one of the early ones as a villain in the first one. 
the first one, it was um, oh, I'm, like gangsters, wasn't it? In that one, it was the actor from Ghost Protocol and the girl with the dragon tattoo. Was it Michael Nick? No, I think that's the main one. I'm talking about like his son who like first kills the dog or something like that. Spoilers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. That's fine. I think that's like the only guy I remember. Other than yeah, I think that, I think I've forgotten the rest of the John Wick baddies. So I will. I will remember Bill Skarsgård. I think, despite him not having like a physical presence necessarily, it has inter- it has interesting scenes. He's definitely uh, leaving his own visual mark on the film. It was also fun to see Scott Adkins show up in this movie. Scott Adkins is kind of like the king of straight to streaming action movies, um, and he's had some major Hollywood work. He played Mads Mikkelsen's number one henchman in Doctor Strange, for example. But he shows up here as a German gangster named Killa in a uh, very elaborate prosthetic suit. It's basically Colin Farrell from the Penguin uh, costume in The Batman as a German gangster with gold teeth. And I mean, it is campy. It is absurd and ridiculous. But it leads to an action scene that's pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, that action scene throughout the dance hall is fantastic. Yeah. I would actually say that Scott Adkins' character is probably my only detriment to the film. Okay. I, uh, weirdly, this is so weird, and people listening, you'll roll your eyes at this probably, but that was the thing that sort of took me out a little bit. Mm. Was it too cartoonish? Just a bit. Like it was like It's like I was in a Dick Tracy film all of a sudden. Sure, yeah. Um, everyone else felt relatively grounded. I know like stuff like all these coins and marquees and, and like jewels. It's all a bit silly, trackers, whatnot. But this guy who's clearly in a suit, like it's the whale or something. It looked like the penguin to me. It yeah. looked a lot like inspired by Colin Farrell's work. But he's not moving like the penguin moves. He's moving no. like a guy in a suit. Yes. Um, and I didn't want to see Brendan uh, Fraser in the whale have a one-on-one fist fight with John Wick. And nor did I want to see that in this film. I suppose, I guess to me, it's just like Scott Adkins is someone who's always so interesting with his fight choreography. I remember even like Expendables 2, which is in no way a great film whatsoever or a great action film for that matter. There's like a fight scene he has there that's really cool. So I just like seeing him do his thing and getting to do something a little goofy and weird. It sounds like he needs Scott Atkins. Cold, cold Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, I mean, I do, I, I will drift off into spoilers in a second. But uh, apart from that, any other, like, maybe, what's your favorite scene in the film, Cam? I mean, to me, it's uh, one of the big final action scenes, which maybe we should talk about in spoilers. Okay, well, before we go over the spoilers, people who are going to be jumping off, uh, we'll just give you a warning. But before we let you go, Cam, would you recommend people go and see this? I would indeed, yes. I think this is big screen spectacle. You know, if a movie like Avatar The Way of Water is a must-see, I think John Wick Chapter 4 is a must-see for the same reason. This movie will not play the same at home on your TV. And uh, if you go out, you know, around this time, you're going to have a very enthusiastic audience that's really into it, and it's a lot of fun. They will be cheering on all the Scott Adkins scenes, I can guarantee you. That's right. Mm. I will say yes. I, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a particularly bad moment. I think it's three hours well spent. Uh, considering the competition in cinemas right now, I think I'd go and see this twice before I even venture to go see Shazam. Uh, yeah, I saw Shazam, which is about maybe 50 minutes shorter and felt two hours longer. Uh, that about says it all, folks. That's a hard thumbs up from the both of us. Check out John Wick chapter four but we're gonna slide on over to spoilers so here is your warning away we go cam should we talk about that big ending was it an ending scott that's the question now you've made it this far i'm gonna say it john wick dies is this his no time to die i hope so honestly like to Mm. me when i get to the end of this movie and john wick has uh you know won this duel and has been shot multiple times, although they didn't look like the most severe of wounds considering what the character has dealt with in the uh, past. Ah, yes. Cam MD is here, everyone, to tell us That's about right. mortal That's right. Wounds. Let me put on my uh, stethoscope and uh, <laughs> <laughs> give my medical knowledge on this one. But it's like you've seen this man get hurled down like countless flights of stairs, which is my favorite action scene in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get to in a second. But um, I guess I 
can buy he dies in these circumstances, but I want him to die because it felt like a worthy ending. He was cleared of all of his issues. He gave the gift of, you know, to Donnie Yen of being free of his, um, you know, being basically tied to the, to the table people. Um, the table people. The table people, as I will refer to them from now on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for us all, those table people. Uh, it felt like a proper ending. And when he said he was going, or take me home, mm. he said it to Ian McShane's character. I'm like, that is perfect. He is going home. And then we get the grave shot. I want that to be the end. But the mere fact that uh, the head of Lionsgate talking about the smashing success of this movie and opening weekend is like, we want John Wick 5. I'm like, oh boy. There's a couple of things to consider when we're talking about there being a fifth one. And I will preface with, if this is the end, I'm happy. Me too. I think you've completed John Wick's arc. You've extended it maybe a bit too far, but I don't really have any complaints if it ended here. Now, when they announced they were doing a fourth John Wick film, they actually announced they were doing a fourth and fifth. It's going to film back to back. And then during the process of making it, they decided to do just the one. That's how I've yeah. I've read it. I assume you've got the same. Yeah, Stahelski basically said that by shooting them back to back, he didn't feel like they could make two movies that felt like each one was upping the ante mm. because they would be using kind of the same technology of the moment. It wouldn't feel like you'd had those learning experiences on the movie to bring to the next one. So it would feel kind of like that common issue you get where you shoot movies back to back and they feel kind of samey. Sometimes you get a a really good example like the Avengers two-parter, but sometimes you get like the Matrix sequels. Sure. That's fair. I I actually stand up for those sequels, but that's an argument for another day, I think. But then the team behind it have also said that they intend to go away from this one and reflect and see how it does, and see how they feel, and if they have a story to tell, because most of the John Wick stories have been broken between the director and and Keanu Mm -hmm. having a drink and just talking about what they could do and what they'd like to do. I mean, as we alluded to, he's shot, killed, and buried at the end of this film. That's as final as Captain Spock had at the end of The Wrath of Khan, and look what we had in the third film. Well, we never saw the body get buried. True. True. I was actually... and, And there is a... There is a post-credit scene, apparently. There is of Donnie Yen being approached by the Akira character who has a knife, getting revenge for her father. Yeah, I didn't stay. I didn't think they did post-credit scene, so I didn't stick around for that. I sort of read about it afterwards. But yeah, if they have something interesting to tell. Now, I know, or I've been led to believe, that John will be turning up in the ballerina film, which is set between chapters three and four. So continuity-wise perfectly fine i don't know where the timeline fits because i thought four picks up almost immediately after three but i guess he has enough time to travel to a desert somewhere and 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 do that bit so there's probably a bit of time well four starts with him like with the Lawrence fishburne character Mm. uh underground so i would assume after being shot and falling off a building at the end of three that he would have been uh somewhat underground for a while recuperating which makes sense. It probably hurt a wee bit. So yeah, there's, there's time for that. So I, I imagine we will see John Wick. No, I'm, I'm fairly certain we'll see John Wick again. Mm-hmm. But where we'll see him leading a film, I'm not too sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a Kane film. Yeah. Um, with the Akira character as well, maybe, or something like that. Uh, the Tracker character you mentioned earlier, I felt like was kind of setting up to have more. I felt like they didn't really do much with him. I think there was issues with this character. Um, I actually liked a lot of the fact you didn't quite know his loyalties. Mm-hmm. It was someone who had a certain price he wanted to kill John Wick, but he was kind of a little bit of that Mark Dacascos fanboy character where he was in admiration of John Wick and wouldn't kill him until the price was at a certain level. But I know they cut footage out of him, as I've heard them talk about on podcasts. When you get to that end point and he's sitting on those stairs... Mm. Um, reacting to what is going on at the duel, it doesn't make any sense. He is in no way able to see what's going on. It feels like they had to shoot something and wedge it in because his exit had been cut out of the movie or something. So I, I haven't heard these podcasts. What have you been sort of led to believe? Well, just that they cut footage with that character. Right. 
Okay. That's all I know. They haven't been, I haven't heard anything specific about an ending, but it would not surprise me if there was an ending to that character that was cut because of pace. They wanted to have the grave shot and end the movie and it just didn't work because it does not make any sense where this character is just sitting making comments. It, it just feels very weird. Yeah, it just feels like he's like a, an interloper in that scene. Like he shouldn't really be there. He should have left it earlier in the film. But he's also not seeing anything that's happening. Can't he see it from where he sat? No, he's sitting on stairs looking out in the opposite direction. Mm, not sure about that. It's like it doesn't work. Geography-wise, it does not work. Okay. Well, if they want to pick him up in another film, it's fine. If they want to go the uh, Halle Berry route of just not mentioning them again, also fine. I'd like to also let's see Halle Berry come back at some point. But well, that's the thing to me with the bringing back John Wick the character. Look, don't get greedy. Like, and I say that not because I don't want Keanu to get a paycheck. He's earned it with what he's doing here. Or Stahelski. You know, they obviously have earned their success with what they're doing. They are not resting on their laurels with these movies. Each one, they are working harder and harder to try and up the up the ante on them. But I'm like, you have kind of a perfect four movies mm-hmm. with a very, you know, solid ending to that character. Satisfying ending. Not just solid. It's, it, it pays. It actually pays everything off really well. It does. Learn the lesson of the kingdom of the crystal skulls. Huh. Like, <laughs> don't undo a perfect thing unless you are just 100% confident that you can do something more. But I'm sorry, when you are doing your good, the bad, and the ugly, essentially homage, you're making a three-hour John Wick epic. Where do you go from there? Sergio Leone did not say after good, the bad, and the ugly, well, Clint, Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef, let's get back together and do another one. He was like, well, those are done. I'm moving on to other things. If they announced John Wick 5 tomorrow, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad. No. No. The filmmakers behind the John Wick films have earned the benefit of the doubt from me. They have not let me down on any, in any of the sequels. If they wanted to do a fifth one and they had a story to tell, which I think is the important thing. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure the studio will throw money at them and be like, please... Give us five, six, we'll pay you whatever you like. I'm not saying sign on for the money, although by all means, get yourself a new mansion, sure thing. But have a story to tell. That's all I'm going to ask if you come back. Have a, maybe, maybe, maybe John Wick takes on the table. Sure. I mean, Stahelski has said like they need a why to make any of these movies. Mm. Even after three, he was like, I- I'm kind of bagged on these. <laughs> like They're really tiring to make, and it was kind of coming up with ideas with Keanu for this fourth one that resulted in it. So I have faith that he is protective of this world and character he's built and isn't going to just make another one just because, just because the shareholders at Lionsgate would like to see another John Wick movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the future of this franchise is to expand in other ways. Like as, you know, Ballerina's going to be coming down the road. I'm sure we'll do a declassified on that. Um, the Continental TV show, there's been a very spotty track record in adapting popular action franchises for TV shows, given Taken and the... Uh, Treadstone. I was going to say Treadstone, yeah. Uh, Lethal Weapon, I don't know the quality was necessarily there. <laughs> I think it you know, it ran for a while, but... Uh... True lies. Too recent, still in the air, still in the air. Yeah, 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 still in the air. Um, but... If the Continental can pull off something that's compelling and grabs people week to week, great, fantastic. Let's expand in that sort of direction. And again, like if you announce tomorrow, a, you know, a movie about the Donnie Yen character, that's really exciting. You have me in the theater opening weekend. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of thing I think they need. They need to feel confident that there can be other characters other than John Wick who can carry the franchise. Which I think is what they're they're gunning to do with all these sort of extra characters they're introducing and this post credit sequence as well. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon. 
home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? DiCaprio's on the run and we're in pursuit because we are tackling the 2002 Steven Spielberg film Catch Me If You Can. Is this minor Spielberg? Major? Come fly with us and find out. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. I did save a special note that I didn't mention off the top of my head for the spoiler section because it is a spoiler too. But we recently mentioned Lance Reddick on our Patreon episode about sort of the news of March, which is a great episode. I recommend you all check it out on our sort of lowest tier there. Um, just going through all the latest news and spy movies in March. And we mentioned his passing. We haven't mentioned it on the main channel. And I mean, we won't speak to that too much, obviously. Uh, you know, very young, very tragic, very sudden mm-hmm. death. And we were talking on that news episode on our Patreon about, like, I wonder how they handle that with this film. And in this film, Lance Reddick's character is killed very early on as sort of the consequence for Ian McShane's actions in the previous film. Yeah. And I I think he's given quite a nice send-off, really. He sort of goes down defending his boss as he has done the entire way through. His character of Caron is is killed. And also gets a nice sort of eulogy. uh, I think well handled. And I'm glad they did that. And now you mentioned the Continental. I wonder if he'll have any ties to that at all or anything. And I imagine he's probably going to pop up in Ballerina. But I just wanted to mention, obviously, with his passing and it being featured in this film, I think it was done quite well. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an uncomfortable situation because I don't think anyone in that audience wants to see Lance Reddick basically dying on screen at this particular moment. Yeah. You know, had he still been alive and you had that scene, the audience reacts in a very different way. At this moment, it's a little just like, ooh. Like, uh, it's just sudden, isn't it? It's just sudden. Yeah. Because the whole thing is. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, you get a nice little epilogue to that character through the Ian McShane character. So, like, I, I don't feel that it was unceremonious. It's kind of abrupt and much earlier in the movie than you might expect. But it felt like they honored that character. I am just curious how he's handled in ballerina whether it's more of just a cameo pop-in or he's playing a larger role we can only wait and see there but um yeah it was it was sad but i i felt like they didn't uh, do lance reddick wrong in the movie at all and to be fair these filmmakers haven't really done wrong by any of their characters so i shouldn't have expected that they wouldn't you know honor him well no and and maybe there was a, a tad bit of i don't want to use the word luck but serendipitous timing perhaps with what they shot in this film and what they wanted to do with this film plus what happened in reality because it could have been a much his character could have been handled in a much different way on the way out and could have left people feeling far more uncomfortable yeah than what you did feel which is more just a, a a sadness when you see it happen in the film um but that i think was handled well is there anything else i mean i, I suppose in sort of the spoiler section my favorite sequence, I think, is the same as yours, which is is, is sort of climbing up the stairs yeah. in Paris up to the Eiffel Tower, up to the church there. Um, I mean, I will shout out to the sort of the Hotline Miami sequence inside the house where you see it sort of the overview going through the rooms, clearing out the rooms with the shotgun. I think that was wonderful. The fire gun was unbelievable. Like, I know it's yeah, been that, that's done. That's real, by the way. That's not, a, that's not a fake thing. I know you mentioned it's been done in video games. I've heard people say it's been done in some uh, Hong Kong films. But Mm -hmm. to see it done here was just, oh, so incredibly well staged and cool. But that stair fight of John Wick fighting his way up 200-something stairs and then getting hurled down 200-something stairs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he just keeps on rolling, keeps on rolling. You think, oh, he's going to stop. No, still going down the stairs. And then, you know, Kane turns up to help him. Yeah. And you get that great fight back up the stairs with mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves and Donnie Yen, just oh, perfect. Could not be better. It, it, it's I'm not. I don't want to be one of those guys like it's a masterpiece. I don't think anything's really a masterpiece, or very few things are, because it sort of weakens what a masterpiece is. Sure. If everything is, I would argue this is an action masterpiece, though. 
It, I, well, I was leading to that point. Yeah. If if there's something that's just slightly under that, it, this is probably it. I'm not sure what classes is a masterpiece, but I cannot find fault with any of the action in, in this film. There's nothing that's there's nothing that's wasted. Everything's economical, and yet it's three hours long. Everything is different. Uh, there's vibrancy to the, the different locales. Japan is sumptuous the colors are, are bleeding off the screen it's neon it's drenched it's lovely and then you're in paris and everything has got that european sort of brownstone look about it and yeah they're shooting bits of that round the champs Elysees. and i've been there i've been to some of those streets they were walking on mm-hmm. and it's it's also crazy to think that's what's happening there but actually some of those same streets were used for born identity funnily enough right uh, um it's just a big thoroughfare in paris um but yeah, I, it's that fight up the stairs that I've never seen anything like it. Or, or and I, I actually could say that to a lot of things. I mean, there's like a nunchuck sequence mm-hmm. between Keanu Reeves and Donnie Yen early in the film, and that's really where you get to see some of Donnie Yen's like blind assassin work, where he's he's fighting him and, and doesn't know quite where he is, and it's one on one as opposed to like more people at the same time. And they and they do sort of pull back a bit from having them fight one on one a lot throughout the film. They put a, they put obstacles in the way, and that's really the closest you get to them being mano a mano. And it it ends in a stalemate basically. Someone interrupts, but again, just just gorgeous. The entire film. You wouldn't think an action film like John Wick Chapter Four has any right to be this good looking. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about this uh, no time to die effect of him dying at the end. I'm sorry, No Time to Die. I'm sorry, Bond fans, but this film is far superior. The overall film? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We may have to revisit that one when we get to No Time to Die. I I guess I would agree with you in cohesiveness. I think No Time to Die has some issues that we'll... We're going to tackle that one relatively soon down the road. But yeah, I do have issues with No Time to Die. I would say that maybe the emotional hit at the end is more effective in No Time to Die. I think that's also using a lot of like member berry stuff though. You're playing the Louis Armstrong, you're getting that sort of stuff going on. Like it's That's fair. That's really going at the heartstrings. This is actually just more like a catharsis. I think it's also just the fact that over the course of the Daniel Craig films, they very much gave you an internal understanding of who that character was. So you had an emotional connection to his journey. Whereas mm. I have not had an emotional connection to anything John Wick has ever done on screen. <laughs> and yes, I was at the end. Hmm. You don't sound so convinced. That no, no. That's hey. Every person's different. No, no. That's fine. Uh, a couple of other things I wanted to just shout out. I mean, obviously, Lawrence Fishburne is back as the Bowery King. Uh, seeing Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves on screen together in any film is a treat. Yeah. Um, but he really leans into the operatic side of the Bowery King. That's fun to see. Also, Clancy Brown as the Harbinger. So much who's fun. Just hanging around. It's just funny. He's genius. Like, what is it? Yes, yeah. It's it just and he's just like, okay, I'm leaving now. See you later. And just leaves at the end. Great. Give me more. Yeah, I love Clancy Brown. He's one of those just super fun character actors and anything he does. And I like when anyone is added as a significant character in a John Wick film. They're gonna get to do something very memorable and fun. Like you don't forget mm-hmm. them. They really know how to use their actors in the way that often Bond does as well. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I wish I could forget Scott Atkins. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. Hey, don't get me wrong. That fight sequence is great. I just maybe could have done without the fat suit. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange choice, but that's uh, you know, it, it gave him a. It was a. Dick, it was a Dick Tracy moment for me, but that's fine. And I love Dick Tracy. <laughs> you do love Dick Tracy. And I've watched it because of you, and it is a good film. Yeah. That is fair. Uh, well, I I kind of want to wrap us up because you know we are going to tackle the John Wick films as a franchise down the road, probably ballerina as well. Um, somewhere down the line, probably when it's wrapped up in a couple of years' time, we can take a good sort of look at the making of and go through it, do some interviews, that sort of thing. So we will come back to this world. But if this is the end of John Wick's journey, are you happy with everything, Cam? Yeah, I think they should be very, very proud of themselves for what they achieved and know that this, if this is a four-film set about this character, it will have a legacy. It absolutely will have a legacy, and not only in terms of just people going back to this and pointing to these as some of these, oh, you use the word masterpiece, I'll use your word, masterpieces of action cinema, but it's also spawning off sidequels, prequels, sequels maybe with like Donnie Yen, so there is a legacy to John Wick past John Wick. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we both said we recommend this film. I hope you've enjoyed our chat on John Wick Chapter 4. Go and see it in the theatres, folks. Go and support your local theatre. Maybe not a chain. Go independent if you can. Let's keep these guys in business. I think this is meant to be seen on the big screen. Cam, the question goes to you, sir. What on earth are we following up with next week? Well, we have just talked about one of the great action-adventure characters of all time staging unbelievable elaborately choreographed action sequences so we're going to talk about a very similar character from the silver screen history we're going to talk about matt helm and dean martin in the third matt helm adventure the ambushers uh quite the whiplash quite the whiplash not our biggest whiplash though to be fair in spy heart history we've had some pretty like neck breaking whiplashes before i'm excited to go back to the world of uh boozy broads and babes and bullets and all kinds of other b words with matt helm huh. uh i'm interested to see what it does uh, we've got a great guest joining us a little bit of a bond uh, historian legend in sort of the writing about bond as well and he loves his matt helm he's also written a book about matt helm so we'll be discussing that too so your mission folks should you choose to accept it is to join us next week as we chat about matt helm's third spectacular adventure the ambushers and if you like what you heard in the show please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners those who cling to death live but those who cling to life die <laughs>